graced us with a taste. Your word instructs us to taste and see that you are good. Father, I pray that because we are in your presence today and enjoying the celebration of your truth, I pray that you would lead us to hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And now, Father, as we turn our hearts toward your word, I ask that you would open our eyes that we could see wonderful things in it. Lord, that by your spirit, you would lead us not only to believe the truth, but to live the truth. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. May we learn from him today through your spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We are continuing our study on the Holy Spirit. And to this point, we have been anchored in the Old Testament and we've seen that the Jewish understanding of God's spirit has evolved. It evolved throughout because of their experiences as God's chosen people. The Holy Spirit, we learned in Genesis chapter 1, was the agent of creation, making God's vision, God's desire for creation a reality. And when mankind was created out of the dust of the earth, the Holy Spirit blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And we live and move and have our being because of the gift of life through the Spirit of God. And then unfortunately... Those kids made a poor choice, sin entered the picture, and death was introduced into life. And when the sustaining, life-giving spirit of God departs a human being, we learned in Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 that when the spirit of God departs, we die. Now, despite the presence of sin and its wages, which is death, God desired a relationship with all of mankind. So what did he do? He called a group of people together to live lives that pointed others to faith in their creator. These people we know as the seed of Abraham, they were the Jews. They embraced the mission in fits and starts. Remember, the mission was to point other people to faith in God. They embraced that mission in fits and starts, and because they wavered, success in that mission was sporadic. There were times when they were flourishing, and at other times they encountered resistance. Resistance from the enemy, as well as resistance that they created because of their foolish decision-making. But God never wavered on his desire for success in that mission. God created us to love us. He wants all people to be in fellowship with him. So... Because he wanted a light in the dark world, his spirit was deployed onto and into the nation of Israel at times just to help them survive. Because we know that if the nation of Israel was eliminated, then as God's chosen people, they would fail in their mission. So at times the spirit was deployed to help them survive and at other times to ensure that they were flourishing. If you remember, the spirit was deployed upon the judges and that was for, like Gideon and Samson, and that was for the purpose of survival. And then after the period of the judges, God sent his spirit upon King Saul to equip him to be the king and position Israel to succeed in their mission as an undimming force of righteousness in the world they were called to serve. But we know, poor Saul, he was a very poor steward of that sacred trust. He chose to establish the kingdom according to his wits rather than the will, the law, and the wisdom of God. It was always, as long as he was king, it was always more about Saul and his success than it was the glory and fame of God. So what did God do? He decided to go in a different direction. 1 Samuel chapter 13. By the way, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along today, we're going to be uh, camped out a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and then later we're going to go to Psalm 51. 1 Samuel 13, though, this is what happened. 
because of Saul's foolishness. Samuel approached him and said, but now your kingdom will not endure. God called him to be king. His intent was that he would always be king and he would always lead the people to succeed in their mission. But Samuel, Saul messed up. Samuel announced him, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought after a man, has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Why? Because you have not kept the Lord's command. You know what God did when Saul faltered in his leadership? He found another leader. He found someone who was fully committed to him first. First. In other words, he wasn't God-fearing because he had a call on his life. That's actually what happened to Saul. Saul got serious, allegedly, about God after God called him, but David who God called, was serious about God before his call. He feared God and was intent on keeping his commandments all the days of his life. And so God had Samuel leave Saul and go anoint David as the new king of Israel. And here's what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil... And he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, now I want you to remember that. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. By the way, just an aside, that does not say an evil spirit of the Lord, but from the Lord. In other words, God made allowance for Saul to be tormented as a consequence of his rebellion. But God's vision did not change. It doesn't change. He still wanted the Jews to be his display people, and Saul squandered that opportunity and the enabling of the Spirit that would equip him to lead them to be the light. So what did God do? He withdrew, sadly, withdrew his spirit from Saul and placed it upon David. Now, again, this is a change in the ministry of the Spirit. In Genesis 1, he's the creator. In the book of Judges, the judges were temporarily empowered by the Spirit for the task of helping Israel survive. Saul was then empowered by the Spirit to rule the nation. And now there's a change. While it may seem like a very subtle difference, it is a big difference because for the first time in Scripture, we learn that God's Spirit came on someone to stay. It's a big change. God's Spirit came on David to stay. Do you remember what verse 13 said? So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, it's a big deal, from that day on, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David enjoyed the presence of God's Spirit, enabling him to lead Israel and accomplish the big picture mission of letting their light shine because the Spirit was on him. David's reign in the Spirit's power established the golden age of Israel. It was David, David empowered by the Holy Spirit, who led them to flourish in their mission. Now, if you're thinking critically, okay, we've talked about Saul, and we're talking about David. If you're thinking critically about David and his story, then you should be perplexed by what you just learned. Because we said Saul lost the Spirit due to his sin, and David enjoyed the presence of the Spirit his entire life. Think about it. Saul lost the Spirit because he was disobedient. 
And yet the spirit was with David from the time of his anointing until the day he died. Was David perfect? You know, other than Judas, who happened to betray Jesus, there isn't another person in Scripture whose sin is more prominent than the sin of David. I mean, you kids remember Bathsheba, right? There was the affair, the pregnancy, and then David used the power of the crown to cover up the affair by having her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed in battle. It was essentially murder. So, why did Saul lose the crown and the spirit? And David enjoyed the presence of the spirit for a lifetime. You think there's a double standard going on here? It doesn't feel right, does it? Let's walk through it. Okay, we know no one's perfect, right? No one. I mean, you might be. The rest of us, we're not. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all and fall short of the glory of God. It's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse. It's the truth. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Romans 3.10, just before verse 23, says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one. All of us, we are, all of us, sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. Listen, before we have an encounter with God and even after we have God encounters. Saul sinned before he was anointed king and filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being the king. And David did too, before and after. Now at the most basic level, All sin is disobedience. It is falling short of God's expectation. It is all of it rebellion against God, and it breaks fellowship with God. Both Saul and David sinned as kings. Same thing. But God responded to their sin differently. Now, why is that? Because they responded to their sin differently. That was the change. Saul, who was already in trouble with God had an event that eventually led to the spirit being withdrawn from him. And it's in the event unfolds for us in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God had instructed Saul to attack and destroy the Amalekites. They were a despicably wicked group of people. And their very presence was inviting, facilitating darkness among the light, among God's chosen people. And because of their wickedness, the instructions were crystal clear to Saul. Destroy everything. Everything. Destroy it all. But when Saul thought about that, he thought, you know, maybe God's a little short-sighted here. I don't don't think he, maybe God's not thinking critically at this point. Because the truth is, the Amalekites and their wickedness had amassed a whole bunch of stuff that the Jews could use. And Saul is, he's working to build a kingdom and they need stuff. So maybe what God meant was, not everything. 
like just destroy some things. Saul knew he could use the stuff to establish his kingdom. So what happened? They went into battle just as God told them to. They fought with courage just as God exhorted them to. And they won a great victory. Great victory. Samuel, the prophet, the day after the battle, decided that he would go and visit Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Early in the morning, it's the best time. Early in the morning, I know that's probably not true for all of you. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul. But he was told, yet Saul, he's gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in God's, oh, that's not what it says. There he set up a monument in his own honor. And has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, Hey, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Really? Saul was so impressed, intoxicated by his own leadership, that he went and built an altar to celebrate Not God, and not what God had done, but he built an altar to celebrate what he had done. It was an altar unto himself. And then when Samuel showed up, he was riding such a high from his victory that he greeted Samuel with an enthusiastic, what is it we're supposed to do here? High-five each other and, like, welcome. It was like, hey, God bless you. I got it all right. Samuel begged to differ. Look at verse 14. Samuel said, listen, what is, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Now you remember the rules, right? The Lord's instructions, crystal clear, destroy everything. Keep nothing for yourself. Keep nothing for the army. Keep nothing for sacrifice. Destroy it all. But while Saul was blessing Samuel, remember, hey, God bless you. It worked. I did it. Samuel, all he could hear were the sounds of bleeding sheep and lowing cattle. It was like he was at a live nativity scene. He knew exactly what happened. Saul had not obeyed. He fell short. The leader of God's people, who was empowered by God to win that victory, had fallen short of God's instructions. So what did Samuel do? He confronted him. Look how Saul responded in verse 15. Saul answered, uh, the soldiers, that's it, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we, we totally destroyed the rest. Okay, they kept stuff. They were going to sacrifice it to the Lord your God, but we destroyed everything just like God said. Do you see what's going on here? He's going, wait, 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 Samuel, hold on. It's not me. It's them. I, I did exactly what God told me to do. It's the soldiers. They, they're the ones who kept the stuff. And, and besides, we decided with the stuff they kept that the best stuff is going to be offered to God in a sacrifice, a sacrifice to the Lord, your God, who got me into this to begin with. Not my God, not our God, your God. And so shouldn't, shouldn't God be pleased? Because, I mean, they... They almost got it all right, 
and they're going to give him the most valuable stuff that he, that they took, that they got in victory. Every army took the spoils of battle to pay their soldiers and establish their kingdom. Why should it be any different for God's people? And so Samuel breaks it down for him one more time. Saul, the mission was to completely destroy the wicked Amalekites. And then he asks a question in verse 19. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel plows on. They have this discussion about how God values obedience over sacrifice. In the midst of that discussion, Saul finally admits that he was wrong. I sinned. But we, just, we can skip right over that part because he's got an important question to ask Samuel. He wants him just, like, can we just move past all that? Do we have to dwell in the past? Let's just move past it. It's a great victory. We need to celebrate it. And so I have a favor. Look at verses 30 and 31 in chapter 15. Saul replied, okay, okay, you're right. I've sinned. But, but, I mean, we're moving on. Please honor me. Saul, he's something. Please honor me before the elders of my people, before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God again. So Samuel went back with Saul. And Saul worshiped the Lord. You're saying here, hey, Sam, let's keep this between you and me. Like, why was it? We don't have to tell everybody I messed up. Did you notice? My people, your God, my people, my people need to think I got it right. So, we know how this works, Samuel. I need to go worship God, and everybody needs to see me doing it. And with you by my side, they'll never be wiser to my little, like, the error. It's a little mistake. But here's the question. Do you think Saul really wanted to worship God? Or was he more interested in the people worshiping him? Did he, did he not just want to be honored before the elders so they would continue to follow him? It seems to me, reading his story, that he was never really about obeying God or worshiping God because I'm not sure that Samuel's God was his God. Samuel's God had expectations and he had standards and Saul really wasn't into that. He was very Machiavellian in his approach. His idea was to establish and maintain power. So it wasn't about like obedience. It's more about expedience. What do I need to do to protect my throne? I don't think it was about God at all for Saul. It was always about Saul and how he looked before his people. It was all image management. By the way, not God's people. His people. When Samuel confronted him, he's like, okay, okay. I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But why was he sorry? 
just because of the consequences. He, he didn't want to lose his crown or the respect of the people. He didn't think about the Holy Spirit. That's why he begged Samuel to honor him. He didn't ask one thing about, hey, God, will you forgive me? Samuel, can you talk to God and we can get this straightened out? That, that wasn't it at all. He didn't want to lose what he had. And guess what? In the end, he lost everything, including the Holy Spirit. God took the Spirit from Saul and placed it on David, a man after God's own heart, but also a fellow struggler. So why was it different for David? How was it different? I mean, the truth is, his affair with Bathsheba and the subsequent death of Uriah, it was sin. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27 says, But the thing David has had done displeased the Lord. Just like the thing Saul did displeased the Lord. And just as he had done with Saul, God repeated the pattern with David. Do you know what he did? He sent a prophet to confront David about his sin. Who was the prophet? His name was Nathan. Nathan was a brilliant storyteller, kind of like Abe Lincoln. He told stories to get people to buy into what he was doing. And Nathan told David this great story. It was about a man, a, a really, really rich guy who had lots of cattle and lots of sheep. And there was a poor guy that lived near him who had one little ewe lamb. And he loved that ewe lamb so much, it was, it was like a member of his family. And that rich guy who had everything went and stole the ewe lamb from that poor guy who had nothing. As he was telling the story, the scripture says David's ire was rising. He was turning red in the face and started pacing. And he pronounced that on that man, he pronounced death to him. He will die. And in the fit of rage, Nathan turned to David and famously said, you are the man. It's you. And as he confronted David, Nathan asked David the same question, essentially the same question that Samuel asked Saul. Look at chapter 12, verse 9 in 2 Samuel. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his sight, in his eyes? Listen, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, what's he referring to there? They were at battle with the Ammonites, and David sent word to the front line, hey, Uriah, he isn't cooperating with me, so I want you to send him to the front line and withdraw from him. David killed him. Now the sword, here are the consequences of his sin. Now the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. This is God talking. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Now, think about this. Just like Saul and his sin, David's sin was against God's word. God interpreted David's actions as a statement of spite. He's, why did he despise God? So at the core, when you peel back all the layers, what we learn is that David and Saul were equally guilty of despising God and ignoring his word. Equally guilty. with two different outcomes. 
Saul lost the spirit. And David did not. Why? Well, the answer is found in Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's like right in the middle of the book. Psalm 51. This is a psalm that David wrote after this sobering confrontation with Nathan. After he had this exchange with the prophet Nathan, he went to his quiet space and he sat down and he poured his heart out to God. And in this psalm, we find out what separates David from Saul and why Saul lost the spirit and David did not. Look how he begins. We were singing about this today. Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin's always before me. But the bottom line is, against you, and you only have I sinned. Now wait a minute, I thought that he sinned against Uriah, and he sinned against the people, and he sinned against Bathsheba, and he sinned against his, his wife and kids. No, David got it right. It was against God that he sinned. It broke his heart. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, you're right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. This is a confession. He isn't blaming other people. It's a confession. And he began this confession with a plea for mercy. Now, what, what exactly is mercy? So let's think about it like this. Grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve salvation, an opportunity to be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. That is grace. It is by grace you are saved. It is God's gift to you. We don't earn it or deserve it. Mercy is on the other side of that coin. Mercy is when God chooses not to give us what we have earned. Punishment for our sins. God withholds our just deserts. So David wisely asks for mercy. God, I don't deserve this. He knew he hadn't earned God's loving compassion, but he needed it. And he knew who God was and that God would give it to him. So in verse 4, he confesses that it was against God and God alone that he sinned. And God was absolutely 100% right in his judgment. And you know what David's doing here? Taking responsibility for his actions. Whereas Saul... In his first sin, blamed Samuel. Do you remember that? He's, the place has fallen apart. The army's scattering. Samuel's supposed to be there to offer a sacrifice to God, but he's late, like seven days late. And so Saul takes matters into his own hands. And when Samuel came to address him about his choice, what did Saul say? You are the problem. You were late. This isn't on me. This is on you. Two chapters later, 
after the destruction of the Amalekites, Samuel wanders in again. What's all the stuff? Sheep and cows. Oh, it's not me. It's the soldiers. Saul always blamed someone else. He never owned his stuff. David blamed himself. And he understood that his offense was against the holy God who called him to lead his people to holiness. Against you and you only have I sinned and I need your mercy and I want you to cleanse me. But David didn't just want to be cleansed. He knew he needed to be transformed. Because you can get all cleaned up. Jesus told a story about someone that was demon-possessed. Remember, and they cast the demon out, but because it wasn't replaced by something, because, because the Spirit of God didn't fill that person, seven demons, the, the old one came back with six more, and they just filled the guy up. It's not just enough to be cleaned up. David understood he needed to be transformed. So look at verses 10 through 12. He said, create in me. You do this because I obviously can't. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or, or, what? Take your Holy Spirit from me. Okay, guess what? David knew what happened to Saul. He knew that if he was going to successfully lead the nation of Israel, that God's Holy Spirit was required. And he also knew that because of his sin, God had every right to withdraw it just like he had done for Saul. What David is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not any better than Saul. But take not your Holy Spirit from me. As a matter of fact, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Look, David turns it all around. It's all about God's people. It's God's salvation. For Saul, it was all about somebody else's mistake and his people. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's not my salvation. You gave it to me, God. Give me, restore the joy in that salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Help me to will what you want. Help me to will the people to follow your vision and your mission. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me in the narrow road of righteousness. He recognized the importance of being pure before God who alone could make him pure. It wasn't up to David. He was stained by sin. God alone could cleanse him. It would have to be a mercy cleansing. Because he certainly hadn't earned it. And by the way, he recognized the importance of the Spirit of God in his success. So he begged God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me and, and restore to me the joy, not of my salvation, but of yours. It was God's salvation. It was God's call. It was God's enabling. It was God's spirit. And it would be God's work that transformed his heart, enabling him to get back up on the narrow road to righteousness and stay there so he could meet his task. By the way, David was praying to his God, not Nathan's. He didn't look at Nathan and say, hey, why don't you have your God fix me? 
David had a relationship with God. And he had failed God, and he needed God's mercy to make things right. He didn't deserve it, but he needed it. And as he closed out this beautiful prayer of confession in Psalm 51, he acknowledges why he's a man after God's own heart because he acknowledges that it's all about God's mission. David had personalized the mission. Where Saul asked Samuel to honor him, David asked God to restore him, not because he wanted all the accolades of being the king, He wanted to be restored so he could fulfill his responsibility of leading God's people to be a light, establishing Jerusalem as that city on the hill. I want you to look at verses 13 and 18 and 19. After David says, hey, cleanse me, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And then here's what's going to happen if your presence stays with me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. It wasn't about whether they were following him. It was about whether they were following God. And then in verse 18, he says, May it please you to prosper Zion, your holy city, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in sacrifices, in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What was he saying? Look, I, I know my responsibility, and if you'll just mercifully fix me, I'll do my part. I'll point people back to you. Saul was all about Saul. He fell because he did not accept the responsibility for his actions and only wanted to save face. And in the process, he lost the Holy Spirit. But David, who fell equally hard, repented. He owned it. And though he reaped what he sowed, suffering the consequences of his failure, David was restored. And through David, the golden age of Israel was established. Their light would never shine brighter. The Holy Spirit, because of David's attitude of repentance and remorse, because of his sin, the Holy Spirit stayed with him not because he didn't fail not because he had earned the presence of the Holy Spirit but precisely because he recognized he had failed and didn't deserve God's empowering and God's goodness so he repented he said look God, I'm going to turn around and go back the other way. I've, I've strayed. I've gone too far. He repented. And it was that repentance, his willingness to repent, that separated him from Saul. That's the reason he's called in Scripture a man after God's own heart. The Spirit, for the first time, stayed with someone, stayed with David. So what do we learn? The Scripture tells us in the New Testament that we should grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. When we sin, we displease God. We displease Him. He is not delighted. And we grieve the Spirit. But God, in His mercy, 
his loving kindness and his compassion wants nothing more than for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the scripture says the Holy Spirit dwells in you. It is on you just like it was on David. And God doesn't want to withdraw his spirit. He won't. It's with you. But we can grieve it. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin. But God has made a way for us to do the exact same thing that David did and have our fellowship with him restored when we sin. You know the verse, it's 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John wrote that, David lived it, and we can too. We are none of us perfect, but God is merciful. And cooperating with God and His Spirit is, is not about getting everything right. Because that's beyond us. It's about when we fall, asking God for help. And then getting back up. Turning around, going the other direction, repenting and following his lead on the road to righteousness and mission. David's experience with God, being cleansed and forgiven and restored, is not meant to be unique for David. It's a possibility for us all. How do we get there? It begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. The way to forgiveness was established on the cross. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died for, for those of us who can't. And all, because God is just, there has to be punishment. And all of God's wrath was poured out on him who knew no sin, who became sin, so that we can become the righteousness of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that we have earned for the wages of our sin. He died on our behalf. So when we place our faith in him, God is making us clean. He's cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And when we believe in him and we have life, that means we're going to have life eternal. We are connected with God. We are gifted with the presence of the Holy Spirit whose ministry today is to guide us to righteousness, to enable us to follow God's lead. to do things more than we could ever ask or imagine. To be used by God to make a difference in the world he's called us to serve, just like David was. Not the same thing, but something. And it happens when we're walking in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God said, look, if, you, if you'll just do what David did and confess your sin before me, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be just and I'm going to forgive you your sin. I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that you can live victoriously in the purpose for which I called you and created.
be, take not your spirit from me. Don't let me grieve your spirit, but let me walk victoriously in your power. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we are so thankful that your word is is perfectly true, shockingly honest, where you reveal not just the sins of the villains, but the sins of the heroes. And we're thankful, Lord, because we toggle between heroic and villainous daily. We aspire to do good things to bring you glory, and yet we fail and we fall. But we're thankful for David who taught us about your mercy, about your willingness to withhold what we really deserve which is your wrath. As a matter of fact, Lord, we're thankful that your word teaches us that Jesus took it on our behalf. We know that he enabled the gift of your salvation to us. And so we ask with David that you would restore our joy in your salvation. If you're here today or online with us and you're not a follower of Jesus, listen, this is, this is the most important thing because we have all fallen short of God's glory because there is none righteous, no, not one. We all need God's forgiveness. And that forgiveness was offered through the shed blood of Jesus Christ who died to take away our sin. The walk, being walking in God's purpose for your life begins by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. And it's fully realized when we keep short accounts with God, leverage the forgiveness that He has offered through confession, and walk continuously in His Spirit. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's where it begins. First, we are forgiven by faith in Jesus. And then when we are forgiven, we have the privilege of walking victoriously according to his divine design for our lives. Father, lead us to faith in Jesus. Help us to be honest like David when we fall. And may our lives be a testimony of your amazing grace. As you forgive and restore. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray.